Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Kate Torgerson. She is the founder and CEO of Milk Stork, the first ever breast milk shipping company, and the mom to three amazing children, Jax and twins Finn and Zoe. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Do you know, I was going to say, I have a daughter named Zoe also, so I Um, like your choice in names. My (laughs) two-year-old that will be two tomorrow, her name is Zoe, so. Does she have two dots over her E? or You know what? We debated on that. Everyone was asking, like, are you going to do, what do you call the two dots? The, the umlaut. My the husband umlaut. was very against it. Yes, yes. but we did it. <laughs> are you going to do the Y? Are you going to do two O's? And you know, we opted for not because someone told us you couldn't put two dots on a passport. Yeah. So yeah. I, it made it simple, but I do <laughs> like the umlaut. So <laughs> anyway, I wanted to start off by asking, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Oh, I don't know. I'm not feeling very like winny. <laughs> like, there has to be a win. small win, just a small win, even for you uh, or anything. I just, okay, so I, I I'm leading. So we're all going to a ginormous water polo tournament this weekend. So I haven't yet claimed my win, but my win will have happened by Sunday, and that is that we have three kids playing in a water polo tournament in LA that we have to go to. <laughs> And they all have games at different times in different locations in LA. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So we're going to have two rental cars and we're going to have to drive them back and forth between like 10,000 water polo games. (gasps) I'm forecasting a win. I like that. Forward thinking there, positive thinking. (laughs) That is my biggest actually like concern is having three children. How do you do it all? I'm already struggling. My six-year-old has like different sports, different activities, and I haven't even started with the two girls yet. And I'm just looking at it going, how are we going to do all of these things? Like, how do you structure that? Do you like allow them to do whatever they like, whatever sports they want? Like, how do you encourage that? I think it's so, so I am really a believer in sports. Both my husband and I played sports growing up. I played, played soccer at Cal for one year and then ski team at Cal. So I, I feel like you learn more on the field and in the pool than, than school might ever be able to teach you. So I'm really committed to sports. I think the problem and the challenge with sports these days, and this is something that anyone who has kids in like the eight to 14 year old range can really appreciate is that when we were young, sports had seasons. Right. My husband was saying that like soccer season, baseball season. They abided by each other's seasons. What's incredibly difficult now, and I think it's the, it's, it's business driven is that all sports are year round. And so one, we kind of have a couple of tactics that we use, but truthfully, I went to 15 games two weeks ago. Oh my goodness. 15 games in 48 hours between three kids. And that was three sports. (laughs) But we favor whatever sport is in competition. 
So if one sport is kind of in the off season, but still going year round and there's practices and things, then that kind of gets sacrificed for the sport that's competing. And that's because you owe it to your team to show up and you have a role to play. And in the off season, you know, the, the stakes are a little bit lower. But isn't things like club or all stars or all those year round? They are, but they're not always competing year round. Or I see. they might have like water polo doesn't have as many competitions in the winter. The other thing is that we do our kids do do double days. Sometimes they have two sports in one day. It sounds crazy, but the alternative probably would be that they would be playing video games or or we'd be paying for childcare. Not that we're not paying for sports. True. So I do believe in building endurance and grit and that's something that they get. I also don't want them to be narrow on any one sport. I think it's a little too much eggs in one basket. So I think they need to be well-rounded in all the sports. I was going to say, I feel like nowadays, I mean, we were just trying out for baseball and it's like one of these things where they're like, you need to commit, you need to, you know, the baseball is going to be your sport. I'm like, he's six. He doesn't even know like how to, how to like wipe his own butt by himself. Like (laughs) how can he pick if he's going to be a baseball player? Like, and so, yeah, that whole, that whole thing about sports. And then, I mean, I want to ask you all the things on how you then do all of this with having a business, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Can I just say one more thing about sports? Cause I think it's kind of controversial, but I'll say this. Okay. I, uh, so the, my twins are eight and they, when I watch them play water polo, like literally it's a slow motion drowning situation. <laughs> like they're, it's not, it's not like they're slaying the sport. And I often get asked, well, do they like the sport? And my answer to that is frankly, I don't care (laughs) because it's one thing to do the things that you're good at and that like come naturally. But I think life is really not about that. I think you can't decide if you like something at the bottom of a learning curve. Like it's not a fair time to ask that question. And I think it takes time for investment to happen, to get good at things, to feel confident. And then I'll ask you if you like it and if you're willing to sacrifice one for the other. But I don't frankly care (laughs) if they like going to water polo at seven o'clock at night on a Tuesday at eight, they can just do it. And then they can tell me in two years if they want to keep doing it or not. (laughs) I feel you on that. We actually were kind of talking about the same thing because we gave them options and we gave him options on like what he wanted to do. And we started to realize he only wanted to do the things he was really good at. Yeah. And I realized, well, you can't always just do what you're good at because you're never going to push yourself. But then it's like, where do you become the parent, the fine line of like forcing them and screwing them up later when they're like, we were forced to, you know, play the piano and we hated it. But like, I don't know. I, yeah. I <laughs> Parenting's difficult. You have but, to have your philosophies. Yeah. <laughs> well, to give the audience a little bit of context, I know you said you have eight-year-olds. Tell us about the roles that you and your partner play in kind of the family and then the ages of your kids. The ages of my kids will start there. Jack's my oldest, just turned 11. And then Finn and Zoe are eight. We play pretty, I would say, well-divided role, like a really good balance. And I think part of that came from having twins because, you know, four o'clock in the morning with twins when one of them is feeding and they're eight months old, it's really all hands on deck. And there's not like one person, no one person can deal with three kids under three, as you know, it's like... (laughs) And work. So it got divided pretty easily. I would say my husband is kind of like more on the house maintenance slash that kind of duty. I am more on the like feeding food, although he does lunches in the morning. I don't know. I just kind of definitely I'm on cleaning medical. Who does all the scheduling? That's joint. We have a um, Google calendar. Nice. And pretty much we talk about it. I would say every single day, every single day we like suss out who's doing what carpools or whatever. And both of you are working. He just stopped working like so about two weeks ago. 
he left his previous position. So right now he's not working, but in... But flashback, let's say eight years, when you had twins in your arms and you were full-time working, he was working. How did you manage all that behind the scenes? So at one point, I think there's a snapshot at eight months old, or or I think there's a story where you were working full-time, you also were launching Milk Stork, and you had three kids basically under three. Yeah. How in the world did you balance that? Or not balance, but what did that look like? Did you have a ton of childcare? You know, how did you make it work? Well, I did have to, so I was working full time at Cliff Bar and Cliff Bar had childcare on site, which was a huge, amazing benefit. I mean, I can't say it enough. Like it saved us because it was, it saved us time, you know, just being able to drop all three kids off at childcare at once. And then to be able to visit them throughout the day if I wanted to. So we were fortunate to have that. I think so milk stork was really something that I did when the kids went to sleep until about midnight or 1am. And I did that for a, over a year and a half. And I, I was so excited by the idea. And I had already <laughs> had the benefit of lack of sleep. Like I was in that like crazy don't need sleep phase because I hadn't had a taste of sleep in like years. <laughs> so I was able to do that for a while. It did get to the point though, where I was like reaching a point of physical exhaustion. And I knew that and, and Milk Stork was entering a place where I could go kind of full-time into that. And so I did transition out of that. I went part-time at Cliff Bar, which they were very okay. nice to do because I knew what I was doing. And then that allowed me to transition. But I had to be very thoughtful about that transition too, because there was a lot at stake. Childcare was at stake, great benefits, a, a stable financial situation. So I I really wanted to make sure that I was careful in how we did that switch. Right. Actually, that was going to be one of my questions is how did you take that financial leap? Like, how did you decide in your head that it was time? Besides the fact that you were like, I'm working so hard on, on, you know, my full time job. I'm working so hard on building Milk Stork. I believe in it. How did you structure that? Because I see a lot of moms out there and they're like, I have a stable job. Or even if they lost their job, like, how can I invest in something else? How do we make this work? Like, what did that conversation look like? How did you take that leap? So there was two big parts of that. One, Milk Stork, you know, it was early days and we were not venture backed. So like we were relying under, we were, it was whatever we made was what we had for the, the company. So I Milk Stork needed to get at a place where it could pay me a, a reasonable salary. And I knew that would never be like what I, what I was previously making. And that was okay. The trade-off there though, was that I, I wasn't spending money on a commute anymore. And then I think the other big thing is that we, we timed it against when my oldest was going to kindergarten and in public mm-hmm. school, because that alleviated some of the childcare costs. Right. And so we really did have to do dollars and cents. Like how much is the commute costing us in terms of time and money? How much will we be saving in childcare? And what are we comfortable when you're doing a startup? It does mean that you are not, you know, you're, you're not living the life that you used to live, but there's, there's benefits to that too. You know, I was closer to home. I, you know, I had technically more flexibility in my schedule, though that is lesson learned, not true that you don't have more flexibility in your schedule at the time I thought I did. So I think it was like taking into account all those trade-offs and then understanding the sacrifice. And you said like you were getting to the point of like physical exhaustion. What was that point that you hit? How did you know like it was, that was the time? And then also like moving Mm -hmm. forward, you know, the company that you started was out of a passion because 
you were in a situation where you needed that service. I mean, I see a lot of entrepreneurs who have these ideas that are great and then they almost like age out of it. So your kid's in you know, elementary school now <laughs> and you're not dealing with breastfeeding. How did you keep that passion alive? And you know, what made you continue forward instead of saying, well, okay, like that was a fun project, I'm gonna quit. I just, well, this goes back to the sports. I just never thought of ever quitting. Awesome. <laughs> That's, I never, you know, you don't get to quit at the bottom of the learning curve. I guess the passion came, so I'm passionate about, I mean, it, I ha, I'm passionate about working moms. I, I, I think the world's a better place than working moms and working parents and are, are sitting at the table and participating in innovation and leadership and all of those things. So I, I wouldn't say that specifically I'm passionate about breastfeeding. It's just that it was the thing that was at stake for me personally as a mother. And so I've, even though I am long since pumping, I appreciated that experience of breastfeeding as one of the first major trade-offs where you feel the tension between your personal and professional ambitions and your devotion to your family. And I just don't think that that is a sacrifice that women should have to make, specifically women and, and working parents in general. So that's what's kept me going. The point of exhaustion, I don't know, you know, because you can go a long time, especially after having three, especially having had twins, I was already so exhausted. Like, did anyone step in and say, like, you need to take control, like you need to work on yourself? Or were you just, did it just click for you? I think it was just a moment of clarity where I was just like, really, I'm struggling. Like it was getting later and later. And I also felt like I just wasn't like the mom that I wanted to be. And so or like short fused or just kind of stressed. And I just, I just remember kind of like one day where I was like, I, I really feel like, and once I had, like I needed a vacation, like I need a really long vacation, but there's no vacations anymore. <laughs> it's just outsourced childcare pretty much. Any vacation, you're just moving childcare to another another scene. <laughs> you're just doing the, you're just doing, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, and it's not, no it's a relocation is what it is. Not, not yeah. outsourced, relocating. <laughs> And there's also no vacations if you're an entrepreneur. You're never not bringing your computer and never not opening your phone and never not available. So, but I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. And once I made the decision, it was like the die had been cast and I was done. Like I knew right. there was no going back. So flashback, you were working at Cliff Bar and you had your first kid. Did you, wait, did you have your first kid while you were working there? I was at Cliff Bar for 18 years. Okay. So when you had your first kid, did anything change in you when you became a mom about your perspective on your career? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that changed was that it's time. The reality of having a career, even if you're, you know, when you're compensated for your career, is that it's time away from your kid. So it has to be worth it. And money is not the thing that makes it worth it. Having, be, being excited in like what you're trying to do or make and being excited in your ability to do that. And I certainly got that at Cliff Bar, but I think once I had, I, I learned a lot at Cliff Bar because I was working for Gary and Kit, who are entrepreneurs, who they themselves had an idea, you know, 30 years ago and acted on it. And so I, I saw the potential of acting on that idea. And Got it. so when I had one, I felt. Yeah, I was going to ask most moms, especially a new mom to twins, wouldn't suddenly say like, oh, I have this great idea. Let me just start a company. I mean, most of them are like, I got to like figure out my bearings, all of this. So what what inside of you made you decide, like, I'm just going to start this? Like a lot of people have these ideas. They're like, wouldn't it be great if, but you also had a great career, you had three kids, you know, what made you decide in that moment? Like, I need to do this. 
it had to be done. <laughs> it had to be done. I could not believe that it hadn't been done. And then I just figured, well, if not me, who? And if not now, when? And I think I read somewhere where you waited three years to hire on your first employee or team member. During those three years, like, what did that look like? And what, who was the first person you hired? And why did you choose that role? So my dad and I started the company. So my dad's my co-founder. and Which is amazing, it. by the way, because <laughs> telling a dad like, hey, can we start a breast milk company? Like I envision that conversation <laughs> and it makes me like, it, it's so great that your dad did that. That's incredible. He was just like, where do we start? Let's go. And he was off and running. We did everything. We did everything. <laughs> and that was super fun because it was just the two of us. And we like, every day you wake up and there's, 10 million problems, <laughs> 10 million opportunities, I should say, but also 10 million problems. And we just knocked, you know, we would knock down what we could. We didn't hire our, we, we hired, we waited, we bootstrapped. So, I mean, that's why we didn't hire our employees for a long time was we were, I never assumed that I could get venture backing. I felt that I would just have to build a company the old fashioned way. And so that's how I, how I did it. And we got to a place where it was growing way bigger than two people could manage. And the opportunity that came with growing that size warranted seeking investment. So we, we raised around and then our first position that we hired was actually someone in customer care because mm-hmm. it needed to be, you know, we're taking care of people's milk. We need to have someone <laughs> and we, we just need to have the, the, the person that can talk to these moms and that be on their, out their resource. Right. So that was the first. And then from there, we also had a gazillion clients that had signed on. So the the kind of second position that we hired was a client success manager just to help the same, same thing. Right. Exactly. It's like basically the service part of the business. (laughs) Drinking from a fire hose and trying to make sure (laughs) that- breast milk. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just trying to make sure everyone was having a good experience and to also get their feedback because obviously we were growing. So those were like the two first. We didn't didn't hire sales because we had inbound. Right. No, I'm just thinking like, okay, so you have this great idea, like you were bootstrapping it, but where did you get kind of the, like not technology per se, but you're like, okay, we need certain ice packs. We need certain things. Like how did you go about looking for all that stuff and like sourcing all of the materials needed to create these really cool kits to send it out? Like where did you Googling. go to? Googling? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, figuring it out. Like there's no kind of like magic way to do it. What I will tell you is that I did not like when, I had the experience of the business trip where I personally felt the pain point. Next day, I basically called my dad and was like, let's solve this. The first thing I worked on was not a business plan. It was not market research. It was none of those things. It was what could solve this problem, like physically solve this problem. Yeah. So it was a process of just kind of from a mom perspective, from a pumping mom perspective, what would I want to have in my hotel room? And what would that experience look like? And then build the parts around it. I think a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs is that they think that they have to jump through all these hoops in the beginning. And I would say, especially for a mom to do the thing that excites you the most, because you have no free time and you don't want to lose your momentum. And if you're not focusing on the thing that you like, then you are going to quit because it's going to suck. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like if you're just sitting there night after night, trying to write some 15 page business plan that, you know, that's not probably a good use of your time in the beginning. I love that. So you were pretty much like, let's get on the field of play. Let's just test this out. Let's try different things like trial and error. And then it eventually led to funding. Now, I know you said like 
you were bootstrapping it. You thought you were going to build it the traditional way. What shifted that mindset or how did you, you know, decide like, actually, we need to raise money. And then like, how did you figure out how to do all of it? Uh, well, I don't know if anyone knows how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think once, you know, I never really thought we were, I didn't, the enterprise channel is kind of what changed things a lot because we, it just created scale so quickly and and we needed to keep up with that growth. That's really what was the game changer. And that happened really early. I thought it was going to be really hard to explain restaurant shipping to employers because they don't even understand pumping. Right. So. They don't even have like pumping rooms. I remember when I asked for a pumping room, it was like, well, we have this like corner of a lounge that you can sit in and there's a mini refrigerator. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to sit in public. Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, remember I just, I've pumped on planes. I mean, I've had three oh, yeah. kids. I breastfed for I don't even know how long. It's like, oh. <laughs> and then carrying the breast milk through the airport and having to explain to them, like, the worst is when they open it and they, like, are testing. I'm like, please don't contaminate it. Please don't touch it. Like, please don't. <laughs> I know. Every <laughs> pumping mom feels like she's the first pumping mom to walk the face of the earth. Or it pumping really, it's, it's true. <laughs> Even though you're not. <laughs> no, millions, literally millions of years ahead of us, people have been <laughs> yes. and still it's like something that people don't understand. So I thought it was going to be really hard to explain to Enterprise, but thankfully our moms were really vocal advocates of the of what they needed. And so that was that was really driving the enterprise platform. And so yeah, the scale. We needed to meet the scale and that required people. That really yeah. required people. Wow. So now I wanted to ask on a more personal subject, you were talking about, you know, physical exhaustion and all of that, since you seem really well aware with like, you know, physical and sports and like mindset and all of that. Is there anything that you do for yourself daily to kind of rejuvenate yourself? Like what is your sort of go-to wellness? Uh, I think, you know, to be honest, I think it's something that I'm struggling right now with 20 months, 24, whatever, three years. I don't even know how long we are into this <laughs> pandemic because I was going pretty good at the beginning of like, I'm going to do Peloton every day and I'm going to make sure I'm walking outside. And I think the winter kind of got to me this year. A lot of the time I'll just work outside and that is really rejuvenating to me, but I haven't been able to do that in a couple months. It does come down to like doing things outside. I really like strongly feel that I need to do things outside. I need sun on my face. I need, I have like cravings to go to Yosemite. And that's when I know when I, when I'm craving, like seeing half dome, that's when I know I need a break. You need a break. Yeah. Do you have any sort of rituals or routines that you do daily? I do try to do Peloton every day. And I do that not so much for fitness, but for like stress relief and just a moment of like, people not talking to me and <laughs> other than Dennis Morton uh, <laughs> clarity going for a walk. What know. time do you wake up in the morning? Are you a morning person or an evening no. person? <laughs> uh, no, I having had three kids under three and like twins and not sleeping for like a million years. I'm fortunate. Our kids go to school across the street, nice. public school across the street. So we can like, I can throw a rock at school right now. <laughs> so I get up at seven 30. Oh, I love that. My husband and I have arguments because he's really into the whole like Tim Ferriss, like you need to wake up at like really early and have this morning routine. And I'm like, I don't function. And I think I'm just looking for other people to commiserate and excuses. But like, it's really hard I, to wake up early. No, I'm an I don't owl, like so. it. I, re- I, I totally resist this like wake up early thing. The other thing is I don't work at night. I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it anymore. It has like, 
I'll do it on occasion if there's like some hot issue. But to me, that's actually, it, it's kind of the anti-ritual. Like, I don't know. I think cracking a computer at nine o'clock at night is a soul killer. Well, also the blue light, it all like affects your sleep. So then what does your kind of typical workday look like now with at least three kids in school? So you at least have a little bit of a break. What does your day look like? So get up. So my husband does lunches. I'm kind of like on the get your shoes on. I'm also on the pet duty. And then we both walk them to school, like across the street. (laughs) Then I'm like, usually I try to, I try to spend like a half an hour of just like, what are the three to five things that really need to be accomplished today and not so much menial tasks, but like move things that move the ball down the field. So I kind of assert those things. I don't always achieve them, but I assert them. And then I'll have a series of teams. I, you know, I think all of us now pandemic zoom life have a big portion of our days communicating with our team in, in a way <laughs> on a screen and gaining alignment and tackling projects. And then the afternoon is always a carpool to a sport, possibly two sports. So today, I think we have soccer. We have soccer, and then two of them had tutor. Yeah, I was going to ask you just divide and conquer on that. I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to understand what my future looks like with three kids and how you get them to all the sports, all the things. Like, do you so make friends would, with some yeah. of the moms and be like, "Can you please carpool?" <laughs> it's all carpool. I mean, okay. a big part of it is carpool and. I wouldn't say that carpooling coordination is super easy because like most of the parents we know are both working also. There really needs to be a solution for that, by the way, like some sort of thing where you can easily do carpool schedules. Like I feel like, yeah, yeah. it needs to take team snap and it needs to take people's work calendars and it needs to take where they live and where the sports are and configure it and serve up the most eligible person to do it. That would be amazing for everything, like not just like sports, like all that crap, yeah. like it's logistics that I just don't understand. I'm sure like, yeah. I mean, FedEx is really good at logistics. They should uh, <laughs> give, out, give out some software here and what's the easiest way to do a carpool. <laughs> well, I do. I do not think that we could do it if we did not have a community around us that shared, you know, that we collectively shared the burden. So we are almost always driving someone else's kid with us and our kid and we, we do like one leg. And then they'll do another leg. And then it's challenging because we do have competing carpools. So some kids, yeah. our kids all have to be at different places at different times. So, and we're only two people. So sometimes we're not always the best carpool buddies because there's a dangler of a third kid out there that we can't do. <laughs> right. Often. And for us, we're like, oh, we don't have space. We have three car seats. Like you can squeeze <laughs> yeah. in the trunk or something. <laughs> like in the yeah, third totally, row like, here. The like, yeah, like, be so diligent about boosting. Now we're just like, get rid of the booster. We have yeah. like, everybody climb in. You're in the front seat. Like we can't, there's no way. I know. We always <laughs> said like going from two to three, it was like you went from man to man defense to now like you're on zone yeah. and it's just so much more you difficult. Can keep, you can only keep two of them alive. At, you know, the, the one kid that's like running out into the ocean is on his own. <laughs> Exactly. Because we can only save, we can only, each of us can only save one. Uh, well, going back a little bit to Milk Stork, the pandemic hit and things mm-hmm. changed. People may not be traveling as much for work and things <laughs> like that. How are you looking at your company in terms of like your services and have you seen a change there? And if so, like, how are you adapting to that? It's, I would say the beginning of the pandemic was different than it is now, but reality for better or worse are is that people are traveling again. <laughs> I don't know if that's good for COVID, but it's we've seen a return of travel. So that's been good. In the early days of the pandemic, yeah, we saw a travel drop immediately to zero. 
And we did a couple, a few things. First, we, we, being in the femtech space, we know of a lot of like really innovative solutions that exist that are very early stage and maybe not ready to sell into enterprise, but they had solutions that could really help parents during this situation, as well as employers in helping their employees. Actually, so one we, of them was a podcast guest of mine, Stephanie from Lactation Lab. Oh, yeah. So I literally we, just saw that on your website. I was like, oh, breast milk analysis. I was like, ooh, are they competing with like no. Lactation Lab? And I clicked on it and I'm like, oh my goodness. She was on yeah. my, she was one of my first podcast guests way, way, way so, long ago. Yeah. Part of it was like, how can we all work together and like figure out a way to bring some solutions forward? So we created a flock of benefits. At the time, we included some childcare options. We had uh, virtual lactation support, Stephanie, Stephanie's Lactation Lab. And to bring that forward to employers and serve as kind of an injection mechanism for some of those solutions. So we did that. Another thing is that during the pandemic, there became a lot of interest in the relationship between breast milk and COVID. Mm -hmm. So studies started to emerge. And for the first time, I would say I, I would need to confirm that with a lactation researcher, but there was a lot of attention on that and funding going into it. So we started supporting Mount Sinai was doing a research study on, I think the antibody response. They're extracting the, an it's a, it's a therapeutic, I guess, so looking at like how breast milk, the role that breast milk plays in, in COVID. Right. So we did all donor specimen collection also for university of Idaho, as well as UCSF. So those were, it was really awesome to be able to participate in that kind of research and help those collections. And then the final thing that we did is that we knew that small businesses were getting hurt. We knew that especially women's small businesses. So we put together a mother shop of items that were, you know, smaller kind of purveyors of really cool mom made products and put them in the mother shop. I think, you know, to be honest, that probably did that did that didn't last long as long as we would have liked because at that point, you know, e-commerce took off because we were all ordering <laughs> Instacart yeah. and toilet paper and everything that was delivering. So, but at, at the time it was really an effort to like all come together and support moms and families in whatever way we could. As a CEO and founder during that time, what do you think is the most successful thing or thing that you're so happy you did that like changed the course of the way milk store could have gone? You know, it really comes down to, I think the management of the business. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but it, it, the hard thing was making the tough decisions. I think all, all so many founders and CEOs, like when you're talking about April 2020 and May 2020, they're not decisions that I ever would have wanted to make, but that had to be made. And because what was at stake if we didn't was that breast milk shipping would go away from the earth. <laughs> and it was important to me that that this solution ex exists into perpetuity. So again, I'm not proud of it, but I, I mean, that's the hard part of being a founder and CEO is making those decisions. Right. Now being an entrepreneur and then having kids, I'm curious, do you infuse any entrepreneurship in your kids? Do they, I mean, they saw you build milk stork, basically, especially your infants to where they are now. Do you ever, you know, teach them about business? Do you ever incorporate that? Or like, how have they seen it? Because I see you train them on the like sports field. You know, you tell them like, I love all your advice on sports and why you should do it and how that helps you in life. I'm curious if you translated that into entrepreneurship and you do any sort of business stuff with your kids. I wouldn't say that I'm like, I, for me, I am not so passionate about business. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I am passionate about solving things and building things. It just so happens that that led to a business. <laughs> so for me, it's always like, build it. Like you can build it. If you see something that you don't like, then make it. It's about having impetus, like the impetus, the grit, and again, endurance and embracing adventure and knowing that not most of the time you're running uphill (laughs) and every every so often you get a sweet downhill, (laughs) but life, you know, there's joy in the uphill. So it's more philosophical, I would say. It's about having an approach to life that isn't about finding easy things. It's about finding rewarding. Do you think playing sports helped you be a better entrepreneur? hundred percent. hundred. There's two things. I think not school. I'm just going to say it was not school. I have a degree in anthropology. It was not school. <laughs> yeah. Sports. And I would say an appreciation of adventure. I, I spent a lot of my, after I graduated from college, time in Tahoe. I worked as a ski instructor. I was a wildland firefighter. Like, wow. just <laughs> doing stuff that's like hard and cool. I think, yeah, that's that's what makes entrepreneurialism. That's the fun of it. That's, that's the translation is like adventure. It's the adventure and it's the finding solutions and thinking, did you ever think that you were going to be the person who solved the breast milk issue? 100% no. <laughs> no. I think the other thing I would say also, I, I did go to art school. And I, have, I, earned, I didn't get an MBA. I got an MFA. And I think the one thing art school teaches you is how to handle criticism. <laughs> Uh-huh. And to make something and then to have a lot of feedback on it. <laughs> and I think that, that was, that's been a helpful tool. You pour your heart and soul into something that you think is so elegant and perfect and it's a baby. And then to uh, appreciate feedback from people who, who care enough because they want it to be better. So, What's the I hardest feedback that you ever received on, on uh, say, building the company? Oh, I mean, uh, the minute you say I am making a breast milk shipping salute, like I am shipping breast milk, it's instant criticism because people don't get it. They like people are will impose their fears and insecurities on you. You know, I forget that they will reflect that back to you. You'll be called crazy and they do it out of concern a lot of the time, out of love, out of like, how can you, this is risky. So, I mean, it's just constant static or doubt. Like that will never work. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that will never work. I still hear that will never work. Well, I know sports gave you a lot of mindset toughness here. I'm curious kind of to wrap things up. What do you think is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom that actually makes you better in either business or life? So I know you gained a lot on the field there and a lot of grit and mental toughness, but what do you think becoming a mom did to change you? And what is that superpower? So with becoming a mom, I don't ever think of, there's no quitting being a mom. (laughs) It's relentless and it's hard. I would, my kids are all IVF kids. So I would also say that there was no guarantee that they were ever going to be here. There was no promise. There was no, the world doesn't owe me anything. So there's, there's kind of an, I don't know what that is, but like an existential appreciation of a journey that is not always going to have some guaranteed reward at the end of it. And I I really had to come to terms with that during, I I am very lucky because I have three kids, but I had to come with terms to terms with that during our fertility journey. And then I think 
to have the once they did come that appreciation for their very existence no matter how tired or <laughs> exhausted or how hard it is yeah it, it, I, an appreciation even though it's relentless and i think that's the same for entrepreneurialism like running a business it's relentless and you just have to appreciate your time in it. Wow. I, I forgot about the IVF journey and I know I was going to wrap it up, but I just wanted to ask you, you know, any advice out there to women going through all of this? <gasps> I know IVF is a tough journey. I mean, I feel like everyone these days, we don't talk about it enough or we're starting to, but I feel like every one of my friends has had issues, even including me. And yeah. so I, I'm like so grateful for my children, but also it it's hard. You know, any advice for women out there that are starting to embark on this journey? Uh, I, you know, the IVF thing is just such a hard, it's so hard to work so hard at something and to not have, to not have any guarantee that your hard work is going to do anything. You know, I just remember fasting and eating green juice and taking 10 million vitamins. And I think I did a vagina steam once, oh, yeah. you know, like, like a uterus yes. steam. Like I was like, I will throw, I will try anything. <laughs> I will try anything. And I, I just, I don't know. There's just something about being a person in the universe trying to get through it. And I, I think my best advice would be to talk to other people who have been on the journey, not so much that they can prom promise or give you hope of an outcome, but just to understand the roller coaster of it. And to have somebody who, who's been on the roller coaster, I think is, is so valuable. Well, you're lucky. You are blessed with three amazing children. And also, and podcasters can't hear or see this, but behind you, I love how even though you're in your son's room, <laughs> it says never give up. And I think that kind of sums up everything that you were talking about, like never give up in sports, even when it gets hard, never give up with wanting to become a mom in whichever way that means, never give up on your dreams and your company. And I love that. And so I think like right behind you <laughs> summed up everything. Well, thank you so much for joining. Where can we find you online? So you can find Milk Stork at MilkStork.com. Milk like what you drink and storks that fly in the air. <laughs> so MilkStork.com. And on Instagram, also Milk Stork. You can find me personally, although I can't say it's very interesting unless you want to see tons of water polo pictures at Milk Stork Mama on Instagram. Well, thank you, Kate, so much for joining today. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you. It was super fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. 